Now, the event that really brought to light the political machinations behind uh, numerous uh, Democratic Party administrations and uh, their respective members in the House and Senate uh, came to be called the Ostend Manifesto, uh, which was a secret communication that was made public and really exposed uh, the ongoing and continuation of uh, identical policies that had been implemented first in the annexation of Texas and later with the Mexican-American War. So <clears throat> Cuba had long been a target uh, for uh, the slave power. And reason for that was it was very close to the southern states, uh, and it was already and had been deeply entrenched in slavery, actually, for at least as long as colonial America, and probably uh, prior. Uh, as a Spanish uh, territory, uh, they had been the first to import slaves into the uh, newly newly discovered world. So, to kind of uh, foreshadow what the Austin Manifesto was, before we get into kind of the uh, procession of events that, that, that led up to it, um, it outlined a, a plan, a system, uh, where first secretive meetings were to be held uh, between various members of the uh, now Pierce administration, still a Democrat administration, to attempt to purchase Cuba uh, from Spain. And if those should fail, uh, there were other options open, one of which was inciting a slave insurrection to create enough uh, conflict and crisis that would be used to justify then military involvement by the United States. Uh, so a Mexican-American war situation. Uh, and through, uh, through that or other means, uh, largely the sighting of the Black Warrior Affair, which we'll cover shortly, uh, as another potential means of justifying uh, military occupation. So the pattern uh, for the Democrat administration uh, and the slave power of using uh, really the military forces, the U.S. government, in pursuit of protecting and expanding slavery, so for you know, the governing Democratic Party philosophy at the time and Calhounism, uh, that had become the kind of modus operandi. Uh, fortunately, in this case at least, uh, a combination of uh, sober-minded uh, diplomats and then a, a someone who leaked this document uh, thwarted attempts to potentially uh, instigate another war, uh, this time against the Spanish Empire. Now, Pierce, whenever he delivered his inaugural address, he made no secrets as to what his intentions were. Uh, he's, uh, part of this uh, speech is, and I quote, The policy of my administration will not be controlled by any timid forebodings of evil from expansion. Indeed, it is not to be disguised that our attitude as a nation and our position on the globe render the acquisition of certain possessions not within our jurisdiction eminently important for our protection if not in the future essential for the preservation of the rights of commerce and the peace of the world. Uh, should they be obtained, it will be through no grasping spirit, but with a view to obvious national interest and security, and in a manner entirely consistent with the strictest observance of national faith. Of course, that last line would prove to be uh, 
well, to, to, to be gentle, uh, utter crap. Uh, <laughs> deception was the governing uh, philosophy uh, of the day and had been uh, at least since the annexation of Texas. Now, what's interesting about this, this relatively short passage from a much larger speech is, uh, to his credit, Pierce hits on the major points and, uh, and punctuates them very well. Uh, note specifically his use of the word expansion, uh, although he didn't specify slave expansion. He's just he's conflating the expansion of slave territories with the expansion of the nation as a whole, uh, which is ironic because uh, the slave power consider, considered themselves at this point already to be uh, unrelated to the Union as far as uh, shared prosperity goes. Uh, that was one of the major arguments presented uh, during the debates between uh, Hayne and Daniel Webster, and, and Hayne posited as much. But he he conflates those two, which is important. But then he also says uh, that the this acquisition of these unspecified territories would be for our protection, if not in the future, essential for the preservation of rights in Congress and peace of the world. And then he mentions national interest again. So he's uh, well, very masterfully interweaving the interests of slave protection expansionism into national interest. And uh, you can see how if someone didn't already understand the underlying purpose of these policies, it's quite persuasive. Uh, he's, he hearkens a lot on national pride and dignity, honor, expansionism, uh, <clears throat> which were all things that were largely supported by the American people. But this reclassification of slave expansionism into a national security interest and national defense interest uh, would, would prove to be a very dangerous thing. Now, uh, prior to leaving office, uh, President Polk had initially attempted to uh, purchase Cuba uh, from Spain. And Pierce intended to uh, kind of uh, restart those negotiations, of course. And uh, as we will later discover as we go through the manifesto itself, uh, the failure of these uh, diplomatic attempts would, just like the Mex Mexican-American War had, uh, necessitate some type of military involvement. Uh, so an opportunity actually presented itself uh, with the Black Warrior Affair, uh, which really was a, a trivial event, uh, but it was uh, a godsend for those pro-slavery Democrats waiting for an opportunity uh, to uh, attempt to annex, purchase, or invade Cuba. And the event itself was fairly simple. It was an American steamer ship, steamer ship called the Black Warrior. Uh, it docked in Cuba. It didn't have it, the right uh, paperwork, uh, and so it was impounded. Uh of course, Southern newspapers and, and Democrat politicians immediately just erupted with cries of, uh, this is an assault on America, this is an act of war. Uh, you know, they just ran with uh, kind of those guiding principles uh, of, of elevating and escalating the language in the hopes of arousing the passions of the American people and again pushing for uh, military involvement, just as they had against Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> they also began to spread rumors and propaganda uh, claiming that Cuba would succumb to their slaves in much the same way that Haiti had. 
and then that uh, moral contagion of sorts would spread to the southern states, and we'd have a, a massive uh, slave insurrection in the uh, southern states as well. So seemingly ignorant to their own history, uh, all of these claims, uh, although possessing some truth, they just reflect warnings that were presented by uh, framers and architects of the founding documents and the founding doctrine who warned repeatedly uh, that slavery was, in fact, a moral contagion that effectively weakens the state uh, and while also weakening the society that practices it, that it's, it is a, a corrupting influence on the master and a depressing influence on the slave. I, wrote a, I write about this extensively, actually, throughout the 1787 project, uh, specifically in the first three volumes. <clears throat> so this brings us finally uh, to the Ostend Manifesto itself. So there's, there's going to be some names here. Uh, the names are really not that important, uh, other than that they are disgraceful uh, historical figures. Uh, but since diplomatic efforts to purchase Cuba failed, as we can assume, uh, and the Black Warrior Fair actually ended very well. Uh, there were very sober and reasonable men on the side of Spain and the side of America that were involved in negotiations. At the end of the day, uh, Spain apologized, uh, returned our vessel, and even provided co compensatory damages. So there really couldn't have been a better outcome. Uh, of course, this was upsetting to those who wished to use war to spread slavery. So there was uh, several clandestine communications at this time. Uh, one such communication was sent by uh, William L. Marcy, who was the Secretary of State at the time. And he sent uh, this, this secretive communication to Pierre Soule. Uh, he was a pro-annexation pro Democrat, and he had been appointed as the Minister to Spain by President Pierce, a political appointment. Uh, he was a pro-expansionism, pro-slavery Democrat, just as Pierce was. Uh, and so similar to uh, the, the use of uh, General Taylor... Uh, to instigate a war with Mexico, uh, uh, Pierce wanted to have uh, party guys, party men in positions of power. So in this specific communication, uh, the Secretary of State, Marcy, instructs Sule uh, to secretly offer $130 million to purchase Cuba. Now, the more interesting part, other than, again, one has to question, where is this $130 million going to come from? He also knows that if this attempt should fail, that Sule was to direct your effort to the next desirable object, which is to detach that island from the Spanish dominion from and from all dependence on any European power. So the goal was to uh, implement efforts that would isolate Cuba away from Spain and any other European powers, obviously uh, to set up uh, either the instigation of a slave insurrection or some other event that would then justify military involvement or annexation by uh, America. Now, three American diplomats uh, met, met in Ostend, Belgium, which Ostend Benefesto gives you a pretty good clue on the connection there. And the purpose of their plan was to, was to discuss strategy 
for how they could acquire Cuba. Uh, so this this uh, group of three was uh, consisted of James Buchanan, who was a minister to Great Britain, uh, and he had also uh, been the failed messenger who tried to purchase Cuba under the Polk administration. Uh, another man by the name of John Y. Mason, who was the minister of France, and of course uh, Pierre Soulet, which we've already met, who was the Spanish minister. And they were supposed to meet, compare notes, brainstorm, come up with a, a list of possibilities, uh, and then return those to President Pierce and to Secretary of State William Marcy. Now this communication, this plan that I came up with, that is uh, what is referred to as the Ostend Manifesto. Now what's particularly uh, harrowing about this manifesto is that it reads as an expose of sorts for the intentions of the Democratic Party uh, to pursue the expansion of slavery uh, through extra-legal and unconstitutional means. Uh, the, they reiterate repeatedly uh, security concerns uh, concer with the uh, domination of Cuba by Spain. And I guess their assumption was that all of these concerns would just magically disappear if America was to annex uh, Cuba. So it's not sure if, or it's not clear if these were the opinions of these men or if they were addressing uh, kind of a focus grouping, uh, what kind of messaging should be used uh, to validate uh, actions. So one, uh, one passage from this manifesto reads, Indeed, the Union can never enjoy repose nor possess reliable security as long as Cuba is not embraced within its boundaries. The system of immigration and labor lately organized within its limits and the tyranny and oppression which characterize its immediate rulers threaten an insurrection at every moment, which may result in, in direful consequences to the American people. Cuba has thus become to us an unceasing danger and a permanent cause of alarm. So we see packaged into this little into this rather small paragraph, all of the justifications that had already been used uh, for the annexation of Texas and the American uh, Mexican American War, with the added kind of uh, sensationalist language concerning uh, slave insurrections. Now, one thing they also explore. Uh, is beyond the obvious kind of shared understanding that slave expansionism was a necessity, was the potential of initiating or hijacking any political or civil unrest in Cuba as a pretense for military occupation. And they write specifically about the Black Warrior Fair. Uh, they write, Recently, a most flagrant outrage on the rights of American citizens and on the flag of the United States was perpetrated in the harbor of Havana, under circumstances which, without immediate redress, would have justified a resort to measures of war and vindication of natural honor. And so they're, they're, they're describing, oh darn, we had the opportunity there that we could have initiated war, but that, uh, that affair was actually very short-lived. Now, the, this uh, manifesto uh, is, is quite lengthy, um, but it was ultimately leaked and came into the possession uh, to the public. Then as soon as, it, as that occurred, uh, inquisitions originating in the House of Representatives began. Uh, the Ostend meeting was condemned. 
Soule was removed from his post, uh, although he would continue to operate as a stalwart uh, Democrat apparatchik <laughs> for the remainder of his life. Uh, the leaking of this memo effectively uh, short-circuited any hopes of imitating uh, their prior uh, patterns for acquiring new land, and especially Cuba. Uh, although Cuba was still not safe, uh, in fact, neither were any Latin American countries, uh, the Democrat Party came to uh, financially support and publicly uh, support and politically recognize uh, numerous excursions by, uh, well, essentially mercenaries into Latin American countries uh, with the intent of overthrowing existing systems of government and instituting uh, slaveocracies of sorts, um, which uh, that will be covered in episode 21, uh, dealing with a number of smaller issues that still relate directly and overlap in some cases to kind of these three peaks three peak events uh, that illustrate the pro-slavery uh, sentiment of the Democratic Party that had effectively evolved under Calhounism uh, away from simply protecting slavery in their own states uh, to forcing slavery into new regions and into new territories, uh, first through uh, violence, uh, subterfuge, uh, attempts at purchase, annexation, and even the instigation of wars. <laughs>